Welcome, everybody, to episode one of the flagship podcast of Fansided's Call to the Pen.com. You can find this podcast as well as all the great content our contributors put out at Call to the Pen.com. I am your host and fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter at John's Voices as well as check out my regular musings at Call to the Pen.com. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the CTT. P flagship podcast name to be named later. You're going to see plenty of players to be named later. So I figured it fitting uh, to launch a podcast today that has a name to be named later. We'll sell the naming rights like Guaranteed Rate Field. Does Guaranteed Rate want to sponsor a podcast? I'm sure they do. They got plenty of money, I think, enough to pay the White Sox. So they can sponsor this podcast, the guaranteed rate call to the pen. Well, it would probably be call to the pen podcast brought to you, brought to you by guaranteed rate. That's probably how they would want it. They wouldn't want to be up front and center naming the podcast. They'd want to downstream it. They want to say brought to you by sponsored by if you ever take calls, we'll sponsor the uh, we'll sponsor the hotline. We now go to the guaranteed rate hotline. They're not sponsoring the show, by the way. I'm just saying, saying guaranteed rate a lot because it is obviously one of the worst naming rights deals in baseball, in probably professional sports. I'm still salty about it. Can you tell? Anyway, I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience every time we meet right now scheduled for Mondays and Wednesdays. Maybe that may may shift with work, things I have going on, things you may have going on. And we've got uh, Mondays and Wednesdays scheduled right now, maybe some intermittent episodes in between. But right now we have a lot to get to today. Monday, July 31st, we will be getting to the MLB trade deadline. Don't worry, baseball's busiest day is upon us. And believe me, teams have already already been active throughout the night while you were sleeping teams went crazy the jonathan lucroy's been traded again melky cabrera is back in a team he was on four years ago wait six years ago we've got other things going on the cubs are making moves again they're pulling prospects out of nowhere who knew the cubs had all these prospects that people valued and uh they've got uh, some some reloading to do but we're going to get to that we're going to break it all down as well as uh, some great content from uh from our call to the pen contributors we have a judges chambers a little segment that we like to do it's on loan from my podcast uh the kmp show which we do somewhat regularly it's a, a fun little segment where we look at Aaron Judge and see how he's doing because, all rise, I am on the bandwagon of Aaron Judge. I traded for him in MLB The Show 15. I want to let it be known right now. I saw a scouting report on him. I said, I got to go get this guy. And I went and got him, and he was amazing. And lo and behold, he turned into something awesome. And, of course, what is hot and happening at calltothepen.com. But first, we've got a scoreboard. Scoreboard! 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 Hey, Joaquin, I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. Were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right, well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. We're going to finish fast. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful. 
The Nationals beat the Rockies 3-1 at home in the first game of a double dip on Sunday. Adam Lind and Brian Goodwin both hit homers for the Nats. Edwin Jackson. Remember that name? Edwin Jackson went seven innings, giving up four runs and a run with one walk while striking out six. In the nightcap, the Rockies got their revenge, emerging victorious 10-6. Ryan Zimmerman had two home runs in that second game. Despite splitting the doubleheader, the Nationals remain a comfortable 13 games ahead of Miami, and the Rockies are an absurd 14 games back back of their divisional lead despite being 60 and 46 that's all they're just only 60 and 46 and 14 games back of their divisional lead Andrew McCutcheon and the Pirates bludgeoned the Padres in San Diego seven to one on the strength of McCutcheon's three count of one two three home runs the last time the Pirates had a player hit three long balls in a game was 2009 that player Andrew McCutcheon his rookie season Garrett Cole improved to 9-7. and seven. He gave up one run across seven innings pitch, giving up five hits, two walks, and striking out eight. The Mariners beat up on the Mets 9-1 to in Seattle to get to 500. Nelson Cruz and Leonis Martin went yard. The A's needed extras to beat the Twins in Oakland 6-5. to The Twins are now seven games out of, the fir- out of first in the AL Central. The Orioles emerged victorious 10-6 in a slobber knocker with the Rangers in Arlington. Jonathan Scoop and Wellington Castillo went long for the O's. Nomar Mazar and Rugnet Odor times two. Two for the Rangers. It looks like Mike Matheny may have to apologize for calling Yadier Molina fat and old, as the Cardinals' backstop went two for four with a run in a three to two win against the D-backs. To be fair to Matheny, though, to be fair to Mike Matheny, Molina only had to trot to home after Jose Martinez knocked him in with a big fly. With the win, the Cardinals keep four and a half games back of the NL Central pace-setting Cubs. Speaking of the Cubs, they extended their lead over the Brewers in Milwaukee on Sunday, winning four to two. Victor Caratini, Caratini, excuse me, and Chris. Bryant both hit homers. John Lackey gave up two runs via one home run across six innings, walking two and striking out seven. The White Sox were walk-off winners against the Indians at home when Matt Davidson hit a bomb into the stands of Guaranteed Rate Field. General Manager Rick Hahn responded to the team scoffing at sharing the second-worst record in baseball by sending away a starting position player. More on that later. The surging Royals were not befuddled, speaking of the Royals and a sent-away position player, were not befuddled by their uh, spoiled winning streak. They came back to take the series from the Red Sox 5-3. Not all bad for the Red Sox, though, as call-up Rafael Davers hit his second home run in five games. They are just a half game back of the Yankees. The Braves and Phillies combined for 17 hits on the day, but produced only three runs of total offense. The Phillies emerged victorious in the game, but not in the race for the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. The Tigers stunned the Astros 13-1 in what might be Justin Verlander's final start for the squad. Verlander struck out six and walked three while going six innings and giving up five hits. That may not get you traded when you're making $27 million. The Reds may have snuffed out any hope the Marlins had at making a game of the NL East race as they scored four runs late in the game to come out on top 6-4. The Blue Jays needed a walk-off Grand Slam, walk-off Grand Slam from Steve Pierce as part of a seven-run bottom of the ninth to come back and beat the Angels 11-10 to in a battle of the irrelevance. The Rays, they continue to make things interesting in the East as they topple the Yankees in the Bronx 5-3. Yankees rookie starter Jordan Montgomery only made it through two and two-thirds of an inning, giving up four runs on six hits with two walks and five strikeouts. With the win, the Rays are now three and a half games back of the AL East lead. 
Imagine that. The Rays, now three and a half games back of the AL East lead. To close out the night, the Dodgers needed a two-run bottom of the 11th inning to stave off defeat at the hands of the Giants at home, 3-2. to two. With the win, the Dodgers extend their winning streak to eight and improve to 74-31 and 31 on the season. Leading baseball's best division by, surprisingly, only 14 games. This is the team the Rockies are only... 14 games back of in the NL West. They have a 7.05 winning percentage. That was our scoreboard, keeping you advised of the past day's action in the MLB. Now that that's done with, we can uh, move on to the meat and potatoes of what will assuredly be a podcast that many people want to listen to, read about. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's the trade deadline, and here at Call to the Pen, we've got you covered. Our great team of contributors have been writing up all the trades that have gone down so far up until the deadline today on Monday, and all the trades that are sure to come through by 4 p.m. Eastern time, the official end of the trade trading period in Major League Baseball. But as mentioned earlier, the White Sox in today's scoreboard were mentioned because once again they have packaged one of their players to a rival in exchange for prospects, this time sending outfielder Melky Cabrera to the Kansas City Royals in exchange for two young arms in Andre Davis and A.J. Puckett. Now from the White Sox perspective, Davis isn't really anything special to write home about. He's nearly 24 and in his first year in A-ball. That's not a good combination. You don't want to be either 24 in A-ball or 24 and your first year in A-ball. Not even high A. We're talking just milk milk toast A-ball here. Uh, Davis is 24 and in A-ball, posting a fielding and independent pitching barely below four and an ERA barely below five. So that's that's like the trifecta of bad. You're 24 in your first year in A-ball, and you might be bad. So... Uh, Puckett, on the other hand, he might have a ceiling, an upper ceiling, like a vaunted, like one of those, you go into the great room and it's just the rest of the house pales in comparison ceiling-wise. It's like an 18-foot ceiling. And you go, well, you know, maybe I can get up there to hang some track lighting, but I don't know. That's a pretty big ladder I'm going to have to need. Puckett's ceiling is like all the way up there. It could be, it might be, and uh, but then viewed relatively to all the other houses in the uh, in the subdivision, it's really nothing special because his highest ceiling, his highest and best use may be a bottom of the rotation innings eater. Uh, he's recently turned 22, which is good. You know, not bad for a, a young arm for a return on a guy like Melky Cabrera. And recently turning 22 and through 20 starts in high A ball, okay, different from Andre Davis. In high A ball, he has a 3.90 ERA and a 3.89 fielding independent pitching. He profiles out. He doesn't, he sits around 90 to 93. Uh, fastball changeup is usually his. His go-to. He doesn't like to. He doesn't have the the fireballing fastball. The 95, 96, 97. He's got ninety. He can touch ninety four once in a while. His big thing is uh, you know changing eye level, changing locations. And in today's strikeout-driven MLB, eh, that may not be the guy that's going to climb up to the top of your rotation or any rotation. However, in return for an aging star or what passes for a star on Chicago South Side, not a bad return. Davis is probably nothing, and to be fair, A.J. Puckett probably isn't anything either, but he could be. He might be. Probably not, but he could be. In Cabrera, though, from the Royals' perspective, 
The Royals get a corner outfielder fielder who can spell Alex Gordon and is in some ways actually an improvement on the recently demo- demoted Jorge Soler. If you'll remember, uh, the Royals gave up not a little bit to, to get Jorge Soler from the Cubs, and he was heralded as this power-hitting corner outfielder, the prototypical big-swinging, big-fly-hitting corner outfielder, and he just turned out to be bad. Maybe he can turn it all around. I don't know how old a man Jorge Soler is off the top of my head. Maybe he can turn it around, but you need somebody right now, especially if you're the surging Royals, you need somebody who's not getting on base at a sub-300 clip, and that's something Cabrera provides for you. In fact, his 336 OBP, if he can continue that in Kansas City, will be the fourth best on the team. His 336 OBP will be fourth best on the team. That should tell you all you need to know, but in case you don't get it, the Royals are 28th in Team OBP in all of baseball. They are two spots away from being the worst on-base team, the worst team at not making outs in all of baseball. And surprise, surprise, they're battling for the AL Central Divisional lead. That should also tell you something else about the AL Central. And speaking of the AL Central, it's really interesting from the White Sox perspective, from the the perspective of a White Sox fan or if you are a a fan of of teams that that will burn it all down, that break it all down and say, "You know what? We're throwing in the towel on this season. Yeah, probably next season too. And we are going to try to suck." Tanking has a relationship in Major League Baseball with MLB fans that really isn't there in other sports. You don't see a lot of NFL fans that are really excited for their team to be bad enough to get the number one overall pick in the draft. You really don't see, up until this uh, this incarnation of uh, 76ers fandom, you don't see a lot of NBA fans that are all that jazzed about their team being at the top of the lottery either. And maybe it's even a little bit worse for uh, for NBA fans because you know that despite your team being the worst, you may not actually get the number one overall pick. And that's an argument I can have all day long about why the lottery is awful and it sucks and it actually runs counter to what it's supposed to do, which is prevent tanking. But this is a baseball podcast. And in baseball, you see a lot of a lot more fans are are on board with open all out tanking, right? Did you did the White Sox have to trade Melky Cabrera? Did the White Sox have to trade David Robertson? They got Blake Rutherford in return, which I'm a big fan of. Having a down year this year, of course, but the White Sox didn't have to trade all the pieces they did. You traded Adam Eaton, you traded Chris Sale, you traded Jose Quintana, and you could have, I guess, let David Robertson and Todd Frazier play out. You didn't have to. They weren't central to your rebuild. But what this signals to me, what trading away Todd Frazier, David Robertson, Tommy Canely, and Melky Cabrera, and if there's another move coming from White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, I have no idea. What it signals to me is that this is a team that's trying to be really, really, really bad. They realize, Rick Hahn realizes, hey, I, I can trade Jose Quintana at the deadline and get a haul for him. Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez plus 
and that's a tremendous hole uh, in his. I want to say in his six games with the uh, with the White Sox uh, affiliate, minor league affiliate that for whom he is playing. Uh, Jimenez is just raking, absolutely raking the ball, and Cease has made two starts and has pitched pretty pretty darn well, and. Rick Hahn can say, hey, I can get a haul for him, and that's that's all I need to do. And But he said, hey, if I trade everybody, if I trade, if I can say, hey, do you want hey, do you want Todd Frazier in New York for some reason, along with uh, along with David Robertson to help shore up your bullpen, and you want to send me a eh, just a, a fringe blue chipper prospect in, in Blake Rutherford, great. And it helps me out because I get a prospect who has a higher ceiling, but I also – I also suck more now, and I see a lot of MLB fans that are really okay with it. There was a lot of trepidation in Chicago around trading Chris Sale and Jose Quintana, but the closer and closer we got to zero day, the closer and closer we got to that actually happening here in town, there was a lot of reconciliation with the fact that, hey, you know, the more that I think about it, this is the best way to go about doing it. And I think, interestingly enough, that Rick Hahn has the White Sox positioned in an, a really, I, I'm perhaps is out of town stupid of me, I haven't seen a lot of it around Major League Baseball. I really haven't. But I think that the White Sox may have circumvented the three-year rebuild window, which is what traditionally teams do. Traditionally, it's the year one of the rebuild is, okay, we're going to trade away what veteran assets we have. We don't know really what we have. You start at this point, and we trade away what we have and we try to suck. But usually you're waiting until the deadline to trade away all your assets, and so you're uh, 500 thereabouts, maybe a little bit under 500, so you're picking in the top 15 of the draft rather than the top 10, top 8, top 5, top 3, etc. And then year two of the draft, you've... You've completely pushed out all your veteran stars, all the veteran pieces worth anything. You're going with replacement level players, veterans that that have, I don't know, any kind of Q rating in the town to kind of get people to come in the door and you suck again. Then you that's your that's your number 1 year. That's when you go, okay, this is our intentional suckage. That's when you try to pick in the top 5, top 3 even better, top 2 best or number 1 overall. Then year 3 you are you're starting to see the returns on some of the guys you acquired in year one for your veteran stars. And perhaps if you're incredibly lucky and you picked well in the top one or three of the draft, you are seeing the fruits from that draft begin to show up later in the season. And then finally, year four, the beginning of year four, you are ready to compete. Interestingly, the White Sox are maybe one more season away from competing because they traded Chris Sale and Adam Eaton in the offseason. And now with this trade of Jose Quintana, and you've got guys who are still at the lower rungs in the minors but are tearing up the lower rungs of the minors, you are now in your number one year. This, This is your number one of the rebuild for the Chicago White Sox, and you are already competing for the for a top three pick. They may pick top two. I have no delusions about picking number one overall as a White Sox fan. I have no delusions whatsoever. But it's interesting that 
they have found themselves in a position to, if you'll recall, the, the, the blueprint is you're not picking top three until year two. But now this is year one, year calendar year number one of the rebuild, and you are looking to pick. You are seriously contending. I think they're, they have the fourth worst record right now. And if they continue to lose, which I hope they do, you will have a top three at least at least a top three pick overall in the 2018 draft, and that will allow perhaps, again, this is all assuming that everything comes together, that everything goes well, that all the the trade act, all the advanced scouting you did, the MLB scouting and the minor league scouting of all the prospects that, that you acquired from these various trades, your Ronaldo Lopez, your Michael Kopex, your, your Yoan Moncada, who is now up and not striking out at a 30% rate, so everybody can just exhale on that one. And this is all assuming that you re- you get a hit rate of around 30 to 40% on the prospects that you acquire. And if you do that, if you do that, if Rick Hahn can manage that, your Luis Roberts, your um, Luis Alexander Basabi, maybe he can turn into something. If you can do that, Rick Hahn has successfully positioned the White Sox to only be out loud awful. I mean, really out loud awful. I mean... nobody should really pay to see you play the game of baseball awful for about two years. And I think that 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 may be the new blueprint. That may be the new... Uh, you you look around MLB and say, hey, this is how you do it. You don't you trade you start your your rebuild in this way. You hold off as long as you can, and then you just plummet. You just nosedive. And then you can pull out. It's it's really a flying metaphor. You get air over the wings as you nosedive, and then you can slowly begin to pull out and do it a little bit faster than the traditional rebuild of just uh, we're just going to kind of float down and float down and float down and hope that our top ten drafting uh, turns us around. And of course, you could be the Padres. That's that's of course the other. The other end of the spectrum here, and instead of a, of a forty percent hit rate, you could be drafting guys that are you know four years removed from drafting them in the first round, number one, two, or three overall, and they're still in A ball, they're still in rookie ball, trying to pretend that oh I'm not a bust, I'm really not a bust. That's the other end of the spectrum, which is entirely possible. Which is entirely possible. Then White Sox fans have to steal their mind, as every baseball fan does of a rebuilding team. You have to steal your mind for bust out and for everybody being a bust and for everything just returning to suck. And you are perpetually picking number one overall, unable to acquire free agents or uh, rebuild on the fly. But it, it is interesting, a precarious position, maybe. But the White Sox, not indicative of this trade, but just shipping off Melky Cabrera, which was not a necessity. Not a necessity to winning in 2018 and beyond shipping Melky Cabrera, but I think indicative of Rick Hahn saying we're going full rebuild, full tank right now to try to pick in the top two of the 2018 MLB draft. All right, we've got some other news coming your way, this time from a great Call to the Pen contributor. I'm going to read a little bit of his piece. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read a little bit of his piece. I encourage you to go read the entire thing because I read Call to the Pen religiously. The We have a great team of writers. I am a relatively new addition, but the guys that are turning in articles, turning in columns every day, our contributors – 
are top notch. These guys are great at formatting. They're great at research. They're great at everything. So the article that I'm from, which I am going to read will be linked in this post of this podcast. If you're listening on blog talk radio, head to call to the search podcast, and you'll be sure to find, find this show's page from there. You can find all the articles I'm talking about. I encourage you check out all these guys, this great stuff, great uh, pulling information together and, and disseminating information and breaking information down. Um, this article is from a call to the pen contributor in a segment. What's hot on call to the pen. In other news, uh, the Chicago Cubs added Tigers hurler Justin Wilson and backup catcher Alex Avila to the roster overnight, sending away Jamer Candelario and Isaac Paredes, as well as a player to be named later. Call to the pen contributor Bobby Muller has a great write-up on the trade linked in the post of this podcast, as I mentioned earlier, and he writes thusly. Bobby, by the way, I'm sorry, sorry if I mispronounced your last name. Quote, Wilson is having a career year. That's Justin Wilson. He started the season as a setup guy for Francisco Rodriguez in Detroit, but after K-Rod blew six saves in his first 13 opportunities, oh boy, do I remember that, Wilson took over the role and has saved 13 of his 13 attempts since with a 2.68 ERA and a 3.22 fielding independent pitching. He also strikes out a ton of batters with a 35% strikeout rate. He will add to an already solid Cubs bullpen currently ranked 10th in Fangraft's wins above replacement. Alex Avila is also having a great year, hitting 271, 392, 472 in 76 games with the Tigers. He's good enough to be a starter for most teams, but the Cubs have have Wilson Contreras, who ranks behind only Buster Posey and, T, and JT Real Muto in Fangraph's wins above replacement. I did not know that, that Wilson Contreras ranked behind only Buster Posey and JT Real Muto. Wow. JT Real Muto, by the way, are we going top, like, number one overall in terms of a uh, baseball player that sounds like he's a Pokemon? Can we agree on that? JT Real Muto? I mean, come on. Like, that guy, I mean, I, I want to hear a loop moves list. Like, oh, uh, he uses block. It's super effective. JT Real Muto, I love that name. Uh, this move puts Avila in the backup role to Contreras, which strengthens the team's bench considerably. The team had an opening after trading away Miguel Montero, uh, following Montero's criticism of a teammate earlier this season. Interestingly enough, Alex Avila and Miguel Montero were having statistically similar seasons. Statistically similar. Again, this is backup catcher production, so it's really hit or miss. I mean, if you look at Alex Avila in extended play, how Avila has has played when he's been uh, given extended playing time, he's not a 392 OBP, 472 slugging guy. He's just not. But if you give him well, two starts a week, if you give him two st- starts a week plus an, an odd pinch hit or DH, uh, opportunity, he can give you this kind of stuff. And Miguel Montero was doing something very similar to what Alex Avila was doing. I want to say he was he had a 360 OBP, somewhere in that range. So about 30 points less in OBP. Of course, OBP is incredibly valuable. But making about $14 million, and then Miguel Montero decides to just go up and start criticizing uh, Jake Arrieta, and the Cubs decided, you know what? Our pitchers are worth more than Miguel Montero, the backup catcher who's eh, maybe performing okay in limited starts. Uh, but be sure to go to calltothepen.com for more great content from our team and contributors and Bobby's pieces linked in this post. But in terms of in terms of how the Cubs look now, you've got Jose Quintana. You've shored up your rotation with a guy who 
I know this is going to be hot takeish, but a guy who's who has ace like qualities, maybe not as dominant of an ace. I don't. An ace to me is an archetype, and an archi- the archetype is you have to have you got to sit ninety five, ninety six. You have to have big strikeout numbers. You have to command the strike zone and dominate the strike zone, and your value has to be derived more from things you can control, like strikeouts, lack of walks, lack of home runs, that kind of thing. Of course, there is some fluctuation in in your ability to control home runs, but still, ninety seven mile an hour fastball with movement is a little bit tougher to hit out of the park than ninety two and straight. Trying to paint a corner, you miss a corner, and then uh, you miss the ball over the fence. But in terms of what Jose Quintana brings on the mound, his domination, his ability to control the game, and and what a pitcher has direct control over. Of course, a pitcher may be able to influence here and there, may, able, may be able to coax and just, ah, just gently push a guy towards popping out, grounding out, nubbing a ball into the ground. Jose Quintana is he's right on the borderline of ace-like qualities. Doesn't have the fastball, but on Chicago South Side for the White Sox, <clears throat> for the longest time I would say he was the ace that nobody knew of. He was the ace that nobody had ever heard of because he would go out and throw you six or seven innings of one run ball and then not get any not get any run support. He'd throw one run ball for six innings and get the loss. And I actually did a uh, uh, contributed a piece for Call to the Pen highlighting exactly just how historically bad Jose Quintana's run support was over the last, since 2005 when run support uh, statistics began being recorded. Jose Quintana, of of all pitchers, starting pitchers with at least 700 innings pitched, Jose Quintana was 167th in baseball since 2005. It, historically bad run support, despite striking guys out, limiting walks, limiting home runs, limiting home runs in U.S. cellular field, by the way, slash guaranteed rate field, limiting home runs in a bandbox and doing it very well, striking guys out despite that lack of sitting 95, 96, 97, and limiting walks, limiting run scoring overall. And he has ace-like qualities, and they were able. The Cubs were able to acquire him. You have now uh, Justin Wilson added to the added to the bullpen, and and I want to look up really quickly. I know this is great pod. I want to see how Justin Wilson performs in high leverage situations. Of course, you've got uh, Bobby's uh, uh, Bobby's piece there saying that uh, he converted thirteen of thirteen save opportunities, but. As we all know, save opportunities are not always created equal. Not every save opportunity is a is a high leverage situation. It's you know you can come in if you come in clean in the ninth inning with a two run lead. That is not as high leverage as coming in the seventh inning with a two run lead and two guys on. And so I want to see exactly how good Wilson is in leverage situation. In high leverage situations, hitters have a batting line of 220, 292, 307 for a combined 599 OPS plus on a 313 BABIP. So this isn't something that's being depressed by luck. This is across 423 plate appearances 
for Wilson's career. Baseball reference has this odd thing where for leverage, they don't give the pitching line. They give the batting line. I don't understand it. You want to write him a letter? Please do. Uh, I have yelled about it for a long time. But uh, the league OPS plus in that statistic is 92. Or excuse me, the league's OPS plus against Wilson in high leverage situations is 92, meaning they are about 8% below league average in high leverage situations. So Wilson is the high leverage reliever that the Cubs have needed. They have needed high leverage relievers that can come in. Of course, you can throw any reliever in there in a high leverage situation, but more often than not, for some reason, Joe Madden has been choosing Carl Edwards Jr. In high leverage situations, Carl Edwards Jr. has been the go-to choice over Hector Rondon, who was the Cubs' closer until they acquired Araldis Chapman in 2016, by the way, and who career for his career is about twice as good as... Carl Edwards Jr. is in high leverage situations, but Joe Madden has been going to Carl Edwards Jr. and finding himself in trouble time and time again. There'll be seventh inning. The the opposing team begins threatening. Joe Madden comes in with Carl Edwards Jr. Edwards uh, doesn't do well, doesn't get the outs he needs to, maybe a run scores, and then he has to go to Hector Rondon in an incredibly high leverage situation. And it really should be the inverse. Rondon should be the high-leverage pitcher. Carl Edwards should be the medium-leverage pitcher. But uh, this may be an instance of uh, uh, President of Baseball Ops, Theo Epstein, taking a toy away from a manager by giving him a different toy. Like, say, okay, never mind, never mind, stop. No, you don't have to call in. You don't have to bring in Carl Edwards Jr. now because you have Justin Wilson. Here you go. And outside of bringing in another top-flight starting pitcher, Outside of bringing in, say, a, a Justin Verlander, if you want to, if you want to believe that that could be a possibility for the Cubs, or a, or a U Darvish, you know, is a, is U Darvish really going to do that much for you? If you hope to repeat, you'd need bullpen help. That has been something. It's been starting pitching, and then and then one A is bullpen help. And Theo Epstein going out and getting Justin Wilson in uh, in this scenario is. I, I think, tactically speaking, from an analysis standpoint, I think he's taking away by addition. I think he's taking away the high leverage option of Carl Edwards Jr. and taking that away by inserting Justin Wilson because Wilson doesn't come with the closer cr- credentials of Wade Davis. Wade Davis is going to continue to be the cl- the Cubs' closer. So now that frees up Justin Wilson, that frees up Hector Rondon for more high-leverage usage like you see from an Adam Miller, like you see from coming in in the seventh in a high-leverage to try to get guys out. I, pred- I predict that's what you're going to see from Justin Wilson, newly acquired by the Cubs. And, of course, Alex Avila is – you needed a backup catcher. You had uh, brought up uh, Victor Caratini, who, uh, okay, maybe is a thing, maybe not a thing. But, you know, the Theo Epstein has said the, the goal of the Chicago Cubs is to win multiple championships. Not one, not the one after 108 years and, okay, pack it up. Pack it up. No, bring that. No, in the box. No, it goes in the box. And then you put it in the, no, in the truck. No, that's going, uh, that's going to Iowa. That one's going to uh, Kane. Okay. All right. Never mind. Not that. He's setting multiple championships. And if you want to win now, what you, what do you do? I mean, 
imagine this. I, I don't mean to uh, portray playing a video game as being an actual baseball general manager, but imagine this. If you wanted to go out and win multiple championships in your favorite baseball simulation game. Mine is the show. I know others uh, like to play a few different ones. But if you wanted to go out, given the starting point of the Chicago Cubs, given who was out there, who was available, Chris Archer was available, yes. You Darvish available, Justin Verlander available, Sonny Gray available, Jose Quintana available. But if you want to go out and win multiple championships, that's your goal. What do you want? You want to go out and get the best starting pitcher available who is also controlled. You want to go out and get the starting pitcher that will help you win now, but also be able to help you win two, three years down the road. And that is Jose. That whittles down the available to basically Jose Quintana. And Theo Epstein went out and got that guy. Okay, what else do you want to do if you want to contribute? Well, you could go out and get another starting pitcher and overpay for Justin Verlander if you want to pay his 23 or $27 million contract. If you want to pay that, go ahead, have fun. Maybe he'll maybe he will continue to be or return to form to what he was, but he you know he might not. Do you go out and do you even have the assets to get a Sonny Gray or a Chris Archer after acquiring Jose Quintana? So now you don't have those things. So what? Uh, okay, getting a starting pitcher is a little bit harder. Well, okay, well now who else is available? Well, how about a 29 year old lights out reliever? from a team who's packing it in and who also has a great backup catcher they can package to you to fill your backup catcher position that has been left vacant by a guy who is too cranky. This is, if you started with the Cubs in this scenario and you could make any trade you wanted, any trade you wanted from the guys available, this is pretty much the best that you could do. And are the Cubs going, of course, this isn't a prediction. The Cubs, the playoffs are a crapshoot. The Cubs are leading the NL Central now. Could they be the ultimate, emerge as superior contenders for the 2017 World Series title? They might. They might. But the to me, the best you can do is to get there. You get there. You get in the postseason. You stay in the postseason as much as you can. It's turns of the wheel, spins, rolls of the dice, and that is what the these acquisitions allow the Cubs to do. Theo Epstein has taken this team from pre-All-Star break below 500 and hoping, hoping that the Brewers collapse, which the Brewers have acquiesced. There's no denying that. But you have gone from having to hope that the Brewers collapse and allow you back in the NL Central race to now you're leading the division and you've got odds on to be a top five bullpen in baseball and perhaps a, off the top of my head, well, I, I'd say top eight rotation, top eight with you've got Lester and you've got Quintana, one, two. Then you've got yeah, Jake Arrieta, Jake Arrieta, who's been good of late, good of late. Then Kyle Hendricks, then John Lackey. But okay, I'll give him top ten. So you go into the postseason with a top five bullpen and a top eight or top ten rotation. I like those odds. You've got guys turning it around. You've got Chris Bryant doing Chris Bryant things. You've got Anthony Rizzo turning it around from his uh, his his early season struggles. The only X factor here really is Kyle Schwarber. Now 
Theo Epstein has positioned this team such that Kyle Schwarber is the ex. You you're going to need to figure out what you're going to do with Kyle Schwarber because if he's going to continue performing how he has in the last couple of weeks, even after being called up from AAA Iowa, you're he may not be a part of your future. And if he's not going to be a part of if he right now he's not going to be a part of your future, he's certainly not going to be a part of your postseason success future. But good job on Theo Epstein. Uh, a lot more interesting stuff to come. Uh, to close out first episode of this podcast. Oh no, wait, actually we've got a uh, got a judge's chambers that we're gonna close it out with. Uh, we got another piece that's hot right now on call to the This one from Jason Evans covering the Jonathan Lucroy trade from the Rangers to the Rockies. Evans writes the 31-year-old has struggled for Texas. In 77 games he's hitting 242 with a 635 OPS. Whoa, a stark contrast from last season where he hit 276 with an 885 OPS. Last season, he was good for a 1.5 wins above replacement. This year, negative 0.5. The Rangers paid a high price last season for Lucroy in giving up Lewis Brinson, who is one of the top prospects in the game. The return? Well, not exactly Brinson. And he goes on to quote a tweet that says, uh, the Rangers will receive a player to be named later from the Rockies. And, of course, not all players to be named later are bad. Of course, that's not the case. Trey Turner, as I recall, was a player to be named later in a trade. But if you can't get a top prospect in return for a guy you gave up a top prospect for, uh, that's you're beginning to lose your job. As a general manager, that's when you start need to you need to start searching through the want ads for other positions in baseball, calling friends and seeing, hey, do you have a uh, scouting position opening up anytime soon? Because when you trade Lewis Brinson, one of the top prospects in baseball, for Jonathan Lucroy in a playoff push, admittedly in a playoff push, but then the next year, that third then thirty one year old catcher, now approaching thirty two year old catcher has a, uh, what did Evans write here, a 635 on-base plus slugging. Oh, boy. Oh, Evans, uh, Jason's piece is also linked in the post in this podcast. He further breaks down the trade and has a lot of great insight from uh, from MLB baseball writers around uh, around the nation weighing in on the Lucroy trade and just painting how awful a return the Rangers are getting for essentially – for uh, for Lewis Brinson. That's what's hot on Call to the Pen. We'll do that every single episode. You can go to calltothepen.com every single day. This podcast is not daily, but calltothepen.com is daily. Go there, check out all the great content from all the great contributors, guys that can write circles around me and have insight and do radio hits, tons of knowledge on calltothepen.com. Make that part of your daily content stop for baseball. All right, let's close it out. Let's do an all rise. This is on loan from the KMP show. There's the story. See ya. What a blast. A three-run home run. And the Yankees lead 5-1. to one. Here tonight, next pitch to Judge is hammered into left field. Hooking fair ball home run. Aaron Judge just kept it fair for his major league leading 19th of the season. High drive, 
right field. Going back, Bautista looking up. See ya into the second deck the other way. All rise. Uh, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be tough. As a as somebody firmly on the bandwagon of Aaron Judge since the All-Star break, we'll choose that um, that point. On the KMP show, we do it every time since we've last done a show. Sometimes that's weekly, sometimes that's monthly, sometimes it's uh, quarterly. But since the All-Star break, that would be a total of 16 games. So still, 16 games is a small sample size. 16 games and 71 plate appearances. Aaron Judge currently has a batting line of 158, 310, 316. That's a weighted on base average of 260 and a weighted runs created plus of 57. That would be 43% below average. 43% below the weighted runs created of a league average team adjusted for uh, league and park effects. His walk rate is 18.3%. His strikeout rate is 35.2%. He has a 158 ISO. Now, in terms of how that stacks up, he's the strikeout percentage is up, but not by that much. It's, it's maybe hard to forget, but in 2016, Judge struck out 44% of the time. 44% of the time. And on the year this year, his strikeout rate, his cumulative strikeout rate, is 30%. So a strikeout rate of 35% in 16 games isn't as alarming as it might be for a guy who, say, strikes out 20% of the time or even less. And a walk rate of 16.9% on the season, again, uh, through this stretch is 18.3. So the peripheral numbers are there, and of cro- uh, a batting average on balls in play of 200. So the peripheral numbers are all there to say that this is just a baseball thing. This is just baseball going to get you. Baseball going to do baseball things. And, and one thing that baseball loves to do is just be weird in short stretches of observation. So you choose a random 16 games to watch a player, you very may well see a Mike Trout type go through uh, replacement level stretches where you go, wait, who the hell is this guy? How is this guy even on an MLB roster? He can't, this is insane. This this is not something that should be on a Major League Baseball field. People should not be coming to pay to see this. And that's just that's just a part of baseball. That's just something that baseball fans from the beginning have had to accept, is that just sometimes guys perform poorly for uh, short stretches. And in a 162-game season, 16 games is a short stretch. However, however, the 200 BABIP also portends a regression to the mean because – Odds, odds are his BABIP, his true ability, whatever influence Aaron Judge can have on his batting average on balls in play, odds are his true ability is not 200. It's somewhere above 300 having watched him play. So while that is a mitigating factor, while it is a mitigating factor, the 158 ISO is troublesome. The 158 ISO down from this season's 330 is bothersome. Not 
not panic bell, not alarm bells, not not move to dismiss, not remove him from the bench worthy, but it is eyebrow raising. That's how I'll describe it. You should look at that and go, uh, because even when you are hitting the ball, even when it is falling, you are not hitting it with the power that you have demonstrated throughout the larger season. And we have to be weary here because this is what happened with Cubs fans and Kyle Schwarber is that Kyle Schwarber put up a great 77 games and then he was he had a good five games and then he was hurt for a long time and then he had a great postseason. And so people combined that, that first 77 games and those postseason games into the hype that was Kyle Schwarber is Babe F and Ruth in 2017 he's going to contend for a batting title. And then he comes out of the gate, and he's struggling, and he's struggling, and he's continued to struggle. And people were trying to convince themselves, no, 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 that's 77 games. That's the real Kyle Schwarber. When you have to understand that throughout 77 games, you might not be seeing the real guy. Because baseball going to do baseball things. And in 77 games, you can have a guy who gets hot for 77 games. Paging Gordon Beckham. Where is he? Gordon! Gordon! I don't think you can hear me. But you can have a guy that gets hot for 77 games or plays well above his true talent level. And it's all about playing playing long enough and seeing enough samples and, and getting him into the MLB bloodstream with scouting, advanced scouting, game planning, pitch planning, all that. It's about all those extended samples and only after a, a long enough period of time can you go, oh, okay, all right, I have a reasonable level of confidence that this is the guy. This is his true level of talent. And through 27 games in 2016 and 100 games this year, we're approaching that level. We're approaching it, but we're not there yet. And it's not a, again it's not time for alarm it's not cause for alarm but it's also time it's also cause to be mindful of the fact that we have not passed that threshold yet with Aaron Judge because it's only been 127 games on his career and maybe the league has adjusted maybe this is an adjustment period people had the all-star break coaches got together they started game planning they they looked at scouting reports and then they went oh well what if we attack him this way and this way and this way and some it, Idea for Call to the Pen contributor? How about a deep dive on how pitchers are attacking Aaron Judge post the All-Star break? Maybe we can see that they're attacking, I don't know, some weakness of uh, a demigod in human form. And this has been Judge's Chambers. We normally do it on uh, the KMP show. This has been the episode, first episode, the inaugural episode of the Call to the Pen flagship podcast. I am your host and fan-sided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. I thank you for listening. I hope you continue to tune in. I will try to be as informative and as entertaining as I can be and continue to grow this product, to make it sound more professional, to increase your engagement. Already have ideas for that. Maybe voicemails, maybe even calls. Who knows? But you can follow me on uh, on Twitter, at John's Voices, for updates. And all, as always, be sure to continue to check out call to the pen. Happy trade deadline day. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.